Okay, good morning, good morning, Rabotai. Chanukah Sameach. Breakfast is dedicated in loving memory Lu Nishmat Shimuel Ben Rachel, Lava Shalom, sponsored by his son, David Sulimanov. Uh, breakfast is also sponsored by Tamar Megidish, dedicated in loving memory Lu Nishmatem of Tamar's mother, Huta Bat Esther, Alea Shalom, and Tamar's brother, Abraham Ben Huta. Breakfast is also sponsored by Yaakov Shirazi on the occasion of the first day of Hanukkah, for success in everything. And finally, breakfast is sponsored by Nathan S. Batesh in celebration of Hanukkah, wishing everyone a happy Hanukkah, Hanukkah, Sameach. Okay, Rabotai, I want to start today by pointing out uh, a couple of interesting things on the, on the tefillah that we say in the morning. Ala Nisim, Ala Purkan, Ala Givorot, Ala Teshuot, Ala right? We say all these beautiful expressions. But what's interesting is, we say ala milchamot, and we do not say ala nitzchonot. Why don't we say for the fact that we won the war? Why are we talking about the fact that we fought the war? Second question, the name Chanukah itself, where does it come from? It's an amalgam of two words. The words are chanu chafei, which means that they rested, they encamped on the day of the 25th, because that was the day that they finished the war. Now that's a very strange thing. To name the miracle of the war the day after. It's like kind of saying, we have a special holiday today. What are we calling it? We're calling it shower. Why are you calling it shower? Oh, because we did this amazing job. We had miracles happen. We built the Bet Knesset and the Kolel and the Yeshiva. And afterwards I went home and I took a shower. Literally that's the name. Chanu Chafei. After they finished the war, they went home and they rested. That's what you're naming the holiday after Chanukah, Chanukhafei. Second question. Again, you're seeing the same theme play out multiple times. <clears throat> the answer, Rabotai, is described from a couple of different perspectives. And, and if we can, hopefully, um, I, want to, I want to maybe uh, uh, look at a few of these ideas in, in, uh, in contradistinction one to the other. The first idea comes, uh, it's brought down in the name of Rev, uh, uh, Rev Eliashiv. Rev Eliashiv explained that when a person goes to war as a, a Jew, the object of war is never war. The object of war in the case of the Jew is only one thing, is only to return to a state of peace. The IDF is called a defense force. We don't want to be on the offense. We don't want to conquer new lands. Israel has never decided that it wanted to take over random bits of land outside of its borders. Any war that they fought was either to defend themselves, to keep their land, or to protect themselves. Could Israel, if it wanted, invade Jordan? It probably could. But there has never been a plan to go and invade Jordan. There's no, there's ne- that has never been part of what the, the Am Yisrael would like to do. Simply because that is not what we do. And it's not how we live. Uh, our lives. Why? From the very beginning of time, we say, Hakol kol Yaakov, for thousands of years, for millennia, countries have, pride, have prided themselves on their military prowess. And they've tried to go and illustrate with, uh, with their might what they could take by the strength of their hand. But for a Jewish person, that's anathema. We, we live to, to, to an exact contradistinction of this idea of might. Now it's very interesting. In the war uh, between Hitler and the Jews, 
The war wasn't just a simple concept of anti-Semitism where he hated a Jew because he was born a Jew. If you look in the writings of Hitler, you will read that Hitler talks about the idea how the beast of prey must once again flash from our eyes. He wanted the children, the Aryan children, to be raised as brutal, as brave soldiers. That's what he wanted them to grow up. He says, they call us barbarians. We are proud of the name. That's what he said. We're proud of the name. In fact, there was a man called Hess who uh, was put in charge of one of the camps in, uh, in Poland. And he had a house that was built on the grounds of the concentration camp. This is a man who lived on the concentration camp, not as a soldier, but as a family. And his children would come outside, and what would they be seeing every day? Atrocities, murder, debasing of human beings. So he writes a letter to Hitler, almost like you would write a letter to your rabbi. Listen how twisted this is. And he writes, he says, I'm really unsure, because although I'm committed to the cause, you know, but, uh, you know, should my children really be seeing gas chambers and shootings and, and hangings? Is this how a child is supposed to grow up? And Hitler says, writes him back and says, there can be no better chinuch for your children. Are you understanding this? So it sheds a glimpse and understanding into what bothered Hitler so much about the Jews. It wasn't just that we had some racial or genetic uh, kind of line that he didn't happen to hate Abraham. But what Hitler hated was that we stood for the opposite of what he stood for. Hitler was building a super race. He believed in a hierarchy of human beings. Whereas with the Jewish people, we did not believe that that which was, that who, he who was stronger was more valuable. When, when Hitler had people amongst his people that were infirm, that were in wheelchairs, they would execute or get rid of those people too. Because they were weaker. They needed to be weeded out of society. So if someone was sick or was old, they played no part in the Aryan race, in the story of the Nazis. If someone, by the way, was homosexual, the reason why Hitler would kill them was because he couldn't have children. So it introduced into the Jewish people, it wasn't a religious reason, it wasn't some sort of prejudice, it fit the same bill. He was building super strong superhumans. If you did not fit into that, if you felt that you should give money to the poor or to the weak, you're undermining the whole system. Now, Rabbi we look at this and we begin to understand now why we are not thanking God for Nitzachon. We really, for us, it's not really about victory. For us, it's about the fight to stay alive, to keep this racism, this anti-Semitism at abeyance so that we can live the lives that we hope to live, the moral state. The minute we are safe, we withdraw our hand because we actually don't want to be engaged in this one minute more than is necessary. Rabotai, the Panavicharov explained one step further on this idea. He explained that when a person is celebrating Chanukah, we don't celebrate, they celebrate the Nitzachon, but rather the Milchama itself. Because the Milchama that we're referring to over here, although it manifested in a physical way, was actually not about anything physical. And I, I, always, I always drive this home. This is not a holiday where our lives were, were at stake. Our lives were not at stake. Our bodies were not at stake. 
our souls were at stake. The only thing they wanted us to do was to sell out on who we were. So long as we would not be who we were, then they were happy for us to exist. If we could be Greeks, if we could be Hellenized, if we could be assimilated, the Greeks were waiting there with open arms. What the Jews were fighting for back then, what were they fighting for? They were fighting to be Jewish. So you wonder why we don't pray and thank Hashem for Nitzachon, for victory? Said the Panevich because we're still fighting that fight. We're still fighting to not assimilate. We're still fighting to not give up identity. We're still fighting to remain Jews and to be proud of being Jews and to be able to be Jews. You know, and a lot of times I think we're lulled into a sense of security that we're safe here in this beautiful country called America, which we have so much gratitude to and to and for. But at the same time, Rabotai, whether we live, live in Britain and you have Boris Johnson giving this whole speech about how, don't worry Jewish people, once upon a time in Chanukah you had a fight uh, for your freedom but you fought alone. Today, the whole of the British people is with you. Really? Really, Boris? Have you, been, have you been out in the streets? Have you been online? Have you seen what people have dealt with? All the, all the British people are with us? They're not with us. All the people in America are with us? Go listen to the recordings of what happened in Jersey City the morning after when they interviewed the people, the local people, who, who were saying that they wished that they would have gotten rid, rid of more. Don't you see? We never had problems until you came here. Unbelievable. We are still fighting this war. So therefore, we cannot claim that we're thankful to God because of the Nitzachon, because that war, the war for the Jewish identity, Jewish soul, the right to be allowed to be Jewish, that we haven't won. So Rabbi it's important to understand how they hoped to fight this fight. It's very interesting because I began today's recording with the word Hanukkah. Sameach. It's a strange uh, uh, expression to give. Why do we say Chanukah Sameach? The reason why we say Hag Sameach on Pesach, Shavuot, and Sukkot is because in the Torah it says, V'samachta bechagecha, chagecha chag, samachta sameach, chag sameach, azaku baruch. But where do we find this idea of simcha on Chanukah? Who said we have to be happy on Chanukah? Where does that terminology come from? And I heard something that blew my socks off. All right, ready for this? The, the Greeks, during the time of, the, uh, of this war, what were they fighting against? Remember, they were not fighting against the Jews. Uh, they were fighting against the Jews' Judaism. And what did they try to take away from them? They took away three things from them, remember? They took away Milah. They took away Brit Milah. They took away Chod, Rosh Chodesh. And they took away Shabbat. Take a look, Sameach. Shabbat, Milah, Chodesh. So we wish each other a Chag, a holiday that has within it Shabbat, Mila, and Chodesh. So I hope that this holiday for you has in it the things that they tried to take away. Now, it's a little bit of a tough thing to walk down the streets of Manhattan, of anywhere USA, and to feel and to hear the music. Let it snow, let it snow, you're taking things off the shelf. It's so cheery, it's happy, eating, you know, donuts. That's what Hanukkah has become. We've almost, uh, you know, we've almost, you know, they say occupy Wall Street. It's like occupy Xmas we've got over here. You know, we're, we're moving in on their holidays and on their tunes. 
and it's joyous in the mall when you're listening to the songs about Silent Night and God knows what Mabarif. Okay? Sorry, for all the non-Syrians, Mabarif means I don't know. I'm not sure what that is. Okay? Now, the ir- irony is that you were Mabarif on Mabarif, but at least now you Barif. Okay, Rabotai, listen to this. This is important because it illustrates to us that this is what we should be celebrating. Okay? Now, why specifically these mitzvot? Why the mitzvah of Shabbat, the mitzvah of Milah, the mitzvah of Rosh Chodesh? How come they didn't say, from now on, no fences around the roof? Ma'ke out. No one ever said that. How come the Greeks didn't walk in and they didn't say to the Jewish people, you know what? No tzedakah. How come? Why specifically these three mitzvot? And it's interesting because all the clues to really working out what Chanukah is about, and it's not easy to work it out because there's layers and layers and layers of Jewish commercialism. Right? What is Chanukah about? Chanukah is the time for giving. No, it's not. The idea of Chanukah presents, alien. Where did it come from? Xmas. All the, Jewish, Jew, all the jealous Jewish kids who came home from public school, whose parents didn't want them to like Xmas as much as they liked Hanukkah, so what did they say to them? Don't worry, you'll have gifts. Yeah, but theirs is nicer. Okay, we'll give you more gifts. <laughs> we'll give you a gift every night. Give that man a cookie. Right? That's what happened. But that's not what Hanukkah is. If we look in al the prayer that was written about this, each line reveals another crumb that helps you understand. And the Mephashim explained to us that the, the words in Al-Anisim say, They desire to turn us away from from the, the, the will of God when He gave us Chukim. Their war was against three different things that said the word Chok in it. Shabbat, Milah, Rosh Chod. So someone once answered me, how come they didn't fight against Para Aduma? Do you know why? That's a very rare fight. Kind of like uh, Conor McGregor versus Mike Tyson. That's a very rare fight. That's a fight that might come up once in your lifetime. They didn't want to fight against something, you know, that was so occasional. How often do they have a Para Aduma? It's a rare occurrence. Right? It's very rare when you get a Para Aduma. So what did they pick? They picked three things that were regular and common features in the lives of the people. Shabbat is a chok, milah is a chok, and chodesh is a chok. Where do we find these expressions of chok? Each one has its own expression. But we say, Hisham sam mishpat. We find other ideas. We say, uh, uh, you know, um, what's it called? The, by, by, uh, in the Brit Milah, we say the word chok as well. Each one has... Uh, a different expression. We write, We say by Brit Milah, Each one has an expression of the word Chok. But why did they attack specifically the Chukim? And this is so important to understand. Greece brought to the world the Greeks, the philosophers, the mathematicians. What did they bring to the world? They brought an absolute change uh, in the zeitgeist, in the way the world looked at its understanding of science, of philosophy, of, uh, uh, of reason. They believed, the Greeks represented to the world chokhmah, wisdom, but without any morality. So it was a wisdom that was disconnected from God. So the men, who, and the men and women who represented wisdom came to the Jews and said, what are all these mitzvot that you are doing, which is what is a chok? Something that you don't understand the reasoning. 
they took their greatest weapon, which was the logic of the, uh, of the what's it called, of Greeks. In fact, uh, if I'm not mistaken, even that is the logos, the word for logic, that's where it comes from, okay? It's from that, uh, uh, the origin is there. So this idea of logos, which, uh, which was, uh, I think, Aristotle, one of Aristotle's three uh, pegs for how a person convinces someone, logos, pathos, right, etc., etc., and ethos. So logos was the, the, the logic. He came to the Jews and said, these things that you've got here, they're illogical. They don't make any sense. They tried to take that from the Jewish people. But Am Yisrael understood, and we have understood, that in many ways, the miracle of Hanukkah is, uh, uh, is small in comparison to the miracle of the Jewish people. And let me explain. We're all thinking about the fact that in unlikely manner, the uh, oil is being lit and it's lasting for eight days. And I say to myself, what is a bigger miracle? That once upon a time, oil that was enough for one day lasted eight? Or that Jewish people today are still lighting a menorah candle, even one for one day. That is a larger miracle. It is a more persistent miracle, spread across the entirety of the universe. The Jewish people are in every country on earth. It's not normal. If this is the case, Rabbi we understand that there is more to life than meets the eye. And very often, things that at the time in, in science, which are, under, which are misunderstood, that at times in, in the knowledge of the world, which we cannot fathom, uh, HaKadosh Baruch Hu understands, and we as Am Yisrael have learned to, uh, to understand that there are things that defy logic, that defy reason, that defy statistical probability. And the reason why we know that more than anybody else is because it is us, it is the blood that flows through our veins. So what was it about these three chukim that spoke so loudly to the Greeks? They knew if they could tempt us by destroying these three, they'd have accomplished a great thing and have eradicated the Jewish people. Why? Because as we say again in Al Anisim, If they wanted to make the Jewish people forget, you can't tell someone to forget something. Let's try a little thought experiment here, okay? I want everyone to not think anymore about a pink Cadillac. What are you doing? You're thinking about a pink Cadillac. You can't help yourself but think about a pink Cadillac. So if I ask you to forget something, what happens? It's like parents telling a young man who's dating a girl, wants to marry her, thinks she's the love of his life. Parents say, it's not happening. Forget her. The more they tell her, him to forget her, the more he pines and thinks about her. So when the Jewish people are being told, they didn't try to make them forget the Torah by telling them to forget it. How did they make them forget the Torah, he says? They attacked three different pillars. Shabbat, Milah, and Rosh Chodesh. What do these represent? Sefarim say something unbelievable. You know, there's three reasons why a person would walk, would walk out on Torah. One reason is, doesn't actually believe in God. A person doesn't believe in God with a mitzvot are pointless. Who are you doing them to? Who are you doing them for? Everything is arbitrary. Without God in this world, we live in a random universe where you are just like a lion, top of the food chain. The lion doesn't worry about the fact that he's taking advantage of the gazelle. And you should not worry about the fact that you just swipe an old lady's purse. Why? It's just, that's the law of the jungle. You know, the mighty survive. Why does it bother you if there's no God? It doesn't. It shouldn't. So Rabbi Tai, listen to this. 
The first peg, a reason why a person might not keep the Torah is he doesn't believe in God. The second reason is, he may believe in God, but he doesn't believe that God actually interacts with this world at all. So he just set the world in motion and then he just let it go. He just let it run, so to speak. He's not actually interested in interacting with it, in connecting with it, in renewing his subscription of interest in the universe that we live in. That's reason number two. And reason number three, Rabotai, is that he knows that God exists. And he knows that God cares. And he knows there's a price to pay. But you know what? Can't help himself. She looks too beautiful. It's too big a pile of money. It's too hard to forgive the person. So you know what? Even if it's a mitzvah, I'm sorry, I'm out. Ta'ava, desire. Rabutai, these three mitzvot represent each one of these possibilities. Shabbat helps us remember that there was a creation of the world. That's why we say, we bear witness, right? We talk about the fact that God created the world in seven days. We rest on the seventh day because He rested on the seventh day, okay? Shabbat reminds a person that there is a God in this world. Bri- uh, sorry, Rosh Chodesh reminds a person that not only did God create a state of existence, but just like the moon each month, there's a renewal, there's a, uh, a waxing and a waning, uh, there's stronger and weaker, there's an interaction which is dialed in, dialed out, but Borei Olam is constantly renewing his connection with the world. That's signified by the mitzvah of Rosh Chodesh. And finally, the mitzvah of Milah, which signifies a person's desire to limit desire. It's a ratzon, an intention to say that I don't want to be an animal in this world, just doing whatever the heck I want, ruled by my passions. I want to be a passionate person, but ultimately I want those passions to be just, to be morally correct, to be kind, to be compassionate. Just because my dream is to own a company doesn't mean I'm going to pull out a gun and shoot the CEO in the head. Right? Oh, that's what I want. Who cares if that's what you want? There has to be something that is more important than the fact that you just want something. I have a very young daughter. She is the princess of my house, no doubt. She does not understand when we say, it's time to go to bed. Her response to that is, but I don't want to go to bed. You understand, in logic for her, that is a good response to, it's time to go to bed. So as an example, you can't have ice cream, you didn't eat dinner, but, but I want ice cream. Want, in her lexicon, challenges, can't. And we're all looking and saying, oh, so sweet, little child. Yeah, we are little children. When our want trumps our own can't. Okay? So these three mitzvot represented these three elements or paths for a person. To forget the pathway of Torah, the pathway of morality, the pathway of being an upstanding human being. Rabotai, it is our fervent wish and prayer that we too should be able to wage this war. And one day, on this world and on the fight that we have engaged in, there'll be another holiday, so to speak. A holiday of Chanu. Maybe, maybe they'll call it something else. Chanu Shesh instead of Chanu Chafei. That we managed after 6,000 years, at the time of Mashiach, Merave Amenu, to be able to rest and put our, our weapons of war down against the Yetzirah, having said, we can finally rest in a Yom Shekulo Shabbat, in an Olam Abba. The Olam Abba is also called Shabbat, because on Shabbat we rest, we fight every day that we live to be the best that we can be. And finally, when our lives are over, when we're in Olam Abba, when we have Mashiach, 
we'll be able to rest from this war. And please God, the prayer that we will say will not be ala milchamot, but rather ala nitzchonot. Baruch Adonai Le'olam. Amen ve'amen.